Yitro, the universal and the particular. The quintessential Jewish expression of thanks, gratitude and acknowledgement is Baruch Hashem, meaning thank God or praise be to the Lord. Hasidim say of the Baal Shem Tov that he would travel around the little towns and villages of Eastern Europe asking Jews how they were. However poor or troubled they were, inevitably they'd reply, Baruch Hashem. It was an instinctive expression of faith, and every Jew knew it. They might have lacked the learning of the great Talmudic scholar, or the wealth of the successful, but they believed they had much to thank God for, and they did so. When asked what he was doing and why, the Baal Shem Tov would reply by quoting the verse, Vata Kadosh Yoshev Tilot Yisrael, you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. So every time a Jew says Baruch Hashem, he or she is helping to make a throne for the Shekhinah, the Divine Presence. The words Baruch Hashem appear in this week's parasha, but they are not spoken by a Jew. The person who says them is Yitro, Moses' father-in-law, rejoining Moshe after the Exodus, bringing with him Moshe's wife and children, and hearing from his son-in-law all that had happened in Egypt, he says, Praise be to the Lord, Baruch Hashem, who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh, and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Three people in the Torah use this expression, and all of them are non-Jews, people outside the Abrahamic covenant. The first is Noach, praise be to the Lord, the God of Shem, the second is Avram's servant, presumed to be Eliezer, whom he sends to find a wife for Yitzchak. Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Avraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. The third is Yitro in this week's parasha. Is this significant? Why is it that this praise of God is attributed to Noah, Eliezer and Yitro, whereas from the Israelites, with the marked exception of the Song of the Sea, we seem to hear constant complaints. It may be simply that this is human nature. We see more clearly than others what is lacking in our lives, while others see more clearly than we do the blessings we have. We complain while others wonder what we are complaining about when we have so much to be thankful for. That is one explanation. It is, though, possible that a more fundamental point is being made. The Torah is signalling its most subtle and least understood idea, that the God of Israel is the God of all humankind, even though the religion of Israel is not the religion of all humankind. As Rabbi Akiva put it, beloved is humanity, for it was created in the image of God. Beloved is Israel, for they are called children of God. We believe that God is universal. He created the universe. He set in motion the processes that led to stars, planets, life and humanity. His concern is not limited to Israel. As we say in the prayer of Ashrei, Verachamov al Kolmasov, his tender mercies are on all his works. You don't need to be Jewish to have a sense of reverence for the Creator or recognize, as Yitro did, his hand in miraculous events. It would be hard to find another religious literature that confers such dignity on figures who stand outside its borders. This is true not only of the three figures who said Baruch Hashem. The Torah calls Avram's contemporary Malkit Tzarek, king of Shalem, Kohen Lekel Elyon, 
a priest to God Most High. He too blessed God. Blessed be Avram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. In Genesis 18, Avram challenged God on the justice of his proposed punishment of Sodom. Shall the judge of all the earth not do justice? But a mere two chapters later, Avimelech, king of Gerar, is told by God to stay away from Sarah because she was Avram's wife, even though Avram had said she was his sister. In terms very reminiscent of Avraham, Avimelech challenged God, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Or consider the fact that the title of our own parsha this week, which contains the Ten Commandments as well as the most significant event in all of Jewish history, the covenant at Sinai, carries the name of a non-Jew. What is more, immediately prior to the revelation at Sinai, the Torah tells us how it was Yitra, the Midianite priest, who taught Moshe how to organize the leadership of the people. These are remarkable expressions of spiritual generosity to those outside the covenant. Or consider Tishri, the holiest month of the Jewish year. On the first day of Rosh Hashanah, as well as reading about the birth of Yitzchak, we hear of how an angel came to the aid of Hagar and Yishmael. What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Yishmael was not destined to be a carrier of the covenant, yet he was rescued and blessed. On Yom Kippur in the afternoon, after we have spent most of the day fasting and making confession, we read the book of Yonah, in which we discover that the prophet uttered a mere five Hebrew words, Od Arba'im Yom, Nineveh Nefachet, in 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. And then the entire population, Assyrians, Israel's enemies, repented. Tradition takes this as a model of collective repentance. On Sukkot, we read Zechariah's prophecy that in the days to come, all the nations will come to Jerusalem to celebrate the festival of rain. These are three Stunning examples of universalism. They don't imply that in the fullness of time everyone will convert to Judaism, rather that in the fullness of time everyone will recognize the one God, creator and sovereign of the universe. That is quite a different thing. The idea that you can stand outside the faith and still be acknowledged by people within the faith as someone who recognizes God, is very rare indeed. Far more common is the approach of one God, one truth, one way. Whoever stands outside that way is godless, unsaved, the infidel, unredeemed, a lower class of humanity. Why then does Judaism distinguish between the universality of God and the particularity of our relationship with him? Answer, because this helps us solve the single greatest problem humanity has faced since earliest times. How can I recognize the dignity and integrity of the other? History and biology 
have written into the human mind a capacity for altruism toward the people like us and aggression toward the people not like us. We are good, they are bad. We are innocent, they are guilty. We have truth, they have lies. We have God on our side, they do not. Many crimes of nation against nation are due to this propensity, which is why Tanakh teaches otherwise. Noach, Eliezer and Yitro were people of God without being members of Israel. Even the people of Nineveh became an example of how to heed a prophet and repent. God blessed Ishmael as well as Yitzchak. These are powerful lessons. It's hard to think of a more compelling principle for the 21st century. The great problems humanity faces, climate change, economic inequality, cyber warfare, artificial intelligence, are global. But our most effective political agencies are at most national. There is a mismatch between our problems and the available solutions. We need to find a way of combining our universal humanity with our cultural and religious particularity. That is what the Torah is doing when it tells us that Noah, Eliezer and Yitro said, Baruch Hashem. They thank God just as we today thank God. God is universal. Therefore, humanity created in his image is universal. But the revelation and covenant at Mount Sinai were particular. They belong to our story, not the universal story of humankind. I believe this ability to be both particular in our identity and universal in our commitment to the human future is one of the most important messages we as Jews have to deliver in the 21st century. We are different, but we are human. Therefore, let us work together to solve the problems that can only be solved together. Shabbat Shalom.